New California case law, new California statutes, that's what I discuss in this podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Ganchi. I'm a trial lawyer at Casey Gary in San Diego, and I focus my practice on TBI, brain injury cases, and trials. I'm also a total nerd about tracking new laws, as this emerging and developing info can win and lose cases. Please enjoy my podcast, The Ganchi Law Update, a Casey Gary podcast. Episode 13 of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening and following along and subscribing. So here's the first legal question and the first case that I'm going to discuss. Does a bar owe a duty for safety to patrons? To start, this is a very general question. And of course, the answer to this question is it depends. This recent decision, Glenn versus Orange Circle Lounge Incorporated, cited as right now 2023 WL6438060, that will be in the show notes, gives thoughts and an analysis on this. In Glenn, the decedent and others got into a physical fight at a bar. They then left the bar at approximately the same time, although separately. About an hour later, about a block away from the bar, these same people get into another fight and unfortunately, decedent dies from that fight. The trial court held in favor of defendants here to start, and ultimately this court affirms that judgment. First, generally, bar proprietors owe a duty arising out of a special relationship created between themselves and their customers. As California Supreme Court has explained in past cases, the duties of bars, including providing assistance to their customers who become ill or need medical attention, to warn patrons of known dangers and in circumstances in which a warning alone is insufficient, to take other reasonable and appropriate measures to protect patrons or invitees from eminent or ongoing criminal conduct. Such measures may include telephoning the police or 911 for assistance or protecting patrons or invitees from an imminent and known peril lurking in a parking lot by providing an escort by providing a security personnel to a car in that parking lot. So here, a fight an hour later and a block away, is that imminent or ongoing? And ultimately the court here says, no, it's not, saying defendant's conduct is quite significantly removed from decedent's death by physical distance, time, and the tenuous logic of the casual, causal, sorry, connection plaintiffs draw between defendant's conduct and decedent's death. Ultimately, the court says and holds here a bar's duty arising out of its special relationship with its patrons extends to protecting patrons from eminent or ongoing criminal conduct, but not further. When patrons safely and peacefully leave the bar, as decedent and the assailants did here, the bar's special relationship with them terminates and the duty it owes to them ends. If you volunteer at a school, are you an employee for purposes of a personal injury versus a worker's compensation claim? This issue comes from this case, Perez versus Galt Joint Union Elementary School District, filed September 25 of 2023, and is decided by the Court of Appeal, 3rd District in California. The site right now is 2023 WL6474984, which will be in our show notes. Here, the plaintiff volunteered at a spelling bee 
at the defendant school. Unfortunately, plaintiff fell off the school's auditorium stage and down an adjacent stairway. So can plaintiff make claims against the school or must she take action as solely with a workers' compensation claim? First, the general law. Generally, a person performing voluntary services for a public agency who does not receive money for the services is excluded from the definition of employee under the Act, which is Labor Code 335, sub A9. However, under certain circumstances, volunteers of statutorily identified organizations can be deemed employees under the Act. One such exception to the exclusion of volunteers from the definition is contained in Labor Code Section 3364.5 and applies to persons authorized by the governing board of a school district or the county superintendent of schools to perform volunteer services for the school district who are injured, injured while engaged in the performance of any service under the direction and control of the governing board of the school district or the county superintendent. So here the plaintiff filed a lawsuit against the school and the school argued plaintiff's sole remedy is through workers comp and the trial court agreed with the school and then this court also agrees. Some of the main facts and points the court addressed was this. Plaintiff's judging activities specifically were under the direction and control of Yant, which was a school who as um, as the principal was acting for the plaintiff with respect to daily operations at the school. The, plaint- the principal and plaintiff's testimony established that the principal told plaintiff where to sit and provided plaintiff instructions on how to judge the spelling bee. And the school's testimony established that the principal had the authority to control and direct the spelling bee set up, including the seating of the volunteers, placement of tables, and where students would stand during the B based on authority established by the board. In the end, this court affirms the trial court's ruling in favor of the school. Talking some money and RFAs, cost cost of proof sanctions and request for admissions. Can you hit the opposing side with costs of having to prove evidence after you served requests for admissions, or as we know them informally, as RFAs? The answer is yes, but it depends. In this October 13th, 2023 filed case, Vargas versus Galizzi, Galizzi, if I'm saying that right, <laughs> uh, or if I can say that consistently through this podcast, which is cited as 2023 WL6781376, addressed this issue among other issues on of how to seek costs post-trial. It, it's, it's an interesting read. Um, just to understand how cost can play out, even if the verdict is in favor of the plaintiff. Um, so it's interesting to read to understand how this can all play out. First, um, let me talk about the brief facts of this case. So it's a car crash case where the defendant hits the plaintiff and plaintiff's adult adult daughter, who is also in the car. There were a few rounds of plaintiff serving RFAs on defendant and seeking stipulations for certain records. At trial, the jury found liability in favor of plaintiff and awarded damages of $15,125. And then plaintiff then sought $350,000 in attorney fees and costs pursuant to CCP section 2033.420 based on defendant's failure to admit the requests for admission 
among other things. First, from their from this case, here are some general statements about the law and RFAs and really formal discovery in general. So starting with RFAs. Regarding RFAs, such requests are primarily aimed at setting at rest a tribal issue so that it will not have to be tried. Thus, such requests, in a most definite manner, are aimed at expediating the trial. For this reason, the fact that the request is for the admission of controversial matter or one involving complex facts or calls for an opinion is of no moment. If the litigant is able to make the admission, the time for making it is during discovery procedures and not at the trial. Requests for admissions are not restricted to facts or documents, but apply to conclusions, opinions, and even legal questions. Thus, requests for admissions serve to narrow discovery, eliminate undisputed issues, and shift the cost of proving certain matters. If a party denies an RFA that is later proved, CCP section 2033.420 sub A provides for an award of costs of proof. And it says thus, if a party fails to admit the genuineness of any document or the truth of any matter when requested to do so under this chapter, and if the party requesting that admission thereafter proves the genuineness of that document or the truth of that matter, the party requesting the admission may move the court for an order requiring the party for whom the request was directed to pay the reasonable expenses incurred in making that proof, including reasonable attorney's fees. So this subdivision B of this code section says this, the court shall make this order unless it finds any of the following. One, an objection to the request was sustained or a response to it was waived under CCP section 2033.290. Two, the admission sought was of no substantial importance. Three, the party failing to make the admission had a reasonable ground to believe that the party would prevail on the matter. Or four, there was other good reason for the failure to admit. But keep this in mind, an award of expenses pursuant to CCP section 2033.420 is not a penalty. Instead, it is designed to reimburse reasonable expenses incurred by a party improving the truth of the requested admission. Okay, so with all this and trying to prove the genuineness of the document, like within the case here, must that only be proven at trial? The answer is no, and the court says this. The statute contains no requirement the proof be made at trial, nor is it apparent that the technical definition of the commencement of trial found in Section 581 would be applicable in this context. So in this Vargas case, plaintiff proved the genuineness of the document in a pre-trial hearing. Also in this Vargas case, plaintiff served RFAs to admit defendant caused some injury to plaintiff. So plaintiff was seeking cost approved sanctions for this RFA too. Just about admit that you, clu- you caused some injury to the plaintiff. And the court here says this, it is true plaintiff presented considerable evidence at trial regarding her injuries. However, this evidence was presented not to show some injury had occurred, but the extent of her injuries, even if defendant had admitted the request for admission, plaintiff would have needed to present the same evidence to assist the jury in determining a proper damages award. And the court here concludes this. We cannot say plaintiff inclu- incurred any cost to, prefer- to prove 
quote, some injury, end quote, occurred. Ultimately here, with how all the costs after the trial broke down, even with a verdict in favor of the plaintiff, the court confirms an order for the plaintiff to pay defendant about $28,000. And that concludes this episode of the Ganchi Law Update. Thanks for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Please visit cglaw.com for further blogs, case updates, and news about our firm. That's CG Law, as in CaseyGaryLaw.com.